Welcome to Broadway's Backbone with Brad Bradley, a podcast dedicated to the men and women of the ensemble, the chorus of dancers, singers, and actors that are the foundation of every Broadway musical. These often unsung gypsies are the hardest working people on the boards and are, well, Broadway's Backbone. Welcome to episode 41. Our special guest is Jared Bortz. Hi, welcome Jared Bortz to Broadway's Backbone. How are you today? I'm great. We're on Fire Island. How couldn't you be great? Oh, it's great. Your major credits are Mamma Mia, Pirate Queen, and now you're currently in Wicked. Plus you did uh, the Actors Fund of Chess and Hair. Did I miss any other uh, big off-Broadway credits or Broadway credits? No. That's it. I've been like um, I've been like the long run kid. That, that's it. That's good. <laughs> so, where are you from, and how'd you get started? Uh, originally from Western Pennsylvania, Latrobe, Pennsylvania. That's where I grew up. Um, and I would say it was my grandma. So there was a there was a clipping in the paper that was auditions for a children's theater production of Jack and the Beanstalk. She was like, "Honey, I think you'd be good at this." So I went to the audition and, you know, no one in my family acted and there was anything. So I went and I just, I played a bean and a townsperson and a flower. Oh. Very, very exciting beginnings. Um, <laughs> uh, and has had a great time and honestly just sort of, uh, and so it was at, at a, a children's theater, Grease Paint Players was what it was called, in uh, the Greensburg Civic Center. So it was children's theater and, and loved it. And so I did a couple shows there and then did community theater, and so that was that was the beginning. All, all thanks to, to Eileen, my dad's my dad's uh, mother. So Grandma Bortz. So uh, Grandma a Bortz. seed was planted, and you and, you, and it grew from there. Yeah, because you know she just thought you know she's I guess she saw something. Um, you know maybe I was thinking the other day of the fact that like her and I understood how brilliant Golden Girls was. Oh. So maybe 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 she had like a queer eye. Maybe she was like. I think you'd like this, grandson. <laughs> it's musical theater. I was thinking the other day how she loved Golden Girls and so did I, but nobody else in our family watched it except Grandma and I. But anyways, that's, that's how it began. So it was, it, was, it was Grandma being like, I think you'd like this, and she was 100% right. So did you get pushed into dance class, singing class, or anything from there? No, I mean, you know, I, just, I was in choir in school. Um, so I did the did like community theater, and then I never took dance class until uh, I was 16. It was Bring a Friend to Dance Class Day. There's a, a, a wonderful ballet studio, um, Laurel Ballet, in Greensburg, the big town of Greensburg, mm. near Latrobe, Pennsylvania, where my parents live now. Um, but in Greensburg, and so uh, I went with a friend. It was Bring a Friend to Dance Class. And I think anytime a boy shows up at a ballet studio, everyone's like, be nice to the boy, maybe he'll stay. Oh. Um, and so I, I, I danced on and off at that ballet studio when I was 16, um, and then my mom found a, a voice teacher for me, um, you know, when I was in high school. You know, it was all new to them. They wanted to support me, but they didn't know how, but they were great. I mean, uh, I had a, a piano teacher that would teach me a little bit of voice. My voice hasn't changed yet, changed yet, you know, and so there's not much you can do if the voice hasn't changed. So right. we'd do a little bit of piano, a little bit of voice. That was miss, with Mrs. Fields, one of my grade school music teachers, and then Joette Salandro was my, like, voice teacher once my voice changed. That I would go to, um, and 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 she was great. You know, when you're young, it's just sort of like trying to keep it fun and playful, yeah. and and they were both great. So no pushing into, but my parents were like, okay, well he likes this, let's try to support him and try to give him places where he can do it. 
they were great. And so, did you do all the high school shows? And yes, I mean, I uh, you weren't you weren't allowed to be in the high school musical until you were in the senior high school. So there was a, a gr the grade school, okay. the junior high school, the senior high school. But when I was in junior high, I wanted to be a part of it so badly that I, uh, you know, our choir director was a musical director for the you know the senior high musical. So I was like, I want to be involved in whatever. So he said, Well, you know, we might be use you know something backstage, and my job it was Camelot. And there was a curtain, like a traveler curtain that would shut, and they had built the set wrong and the curtain would hit a part of the set. So my job was to sit behind this set piece. And when the curtain came, just make sure it went around the set uh. piece. And I was thrilled. Like nothing could be more exciting than the fact that I was, you know. Working on the senior show. Working yeah. on, you know. So I mean, I just I just love the craft and I love the art form. And whether I'm, you know, obviously I enjoy being on stage now, but I was just thrilled to be behind the set, making sure the curtain didn't hit it. And then being a part of it, so that, so I did. So and then after that, when I was in the senior high, yes, I did the, the the musicals, and and I was lucky enough to do a part in every one. And my senior year, they picked a show for me, which was so lovely. Yeah, wow. Yeah, they, they, it was a wonderful sort of playground, you know, as it should be when you're young. You should just play. Yeah. Do you have a, a focus that it's is it? Are you more of a dancer, singer, actor? Are you a triple threat? Well, I mean, where would you say at that age, or even now, where is your strongest suit? No, you know, I I I have. You know, it's only when you get to the city and you start sort of seeing how you stack up against everyone else that you sort of have a sense of, am I good? Am I not? Right. You know, I mean, you work hard. Um, so when I got to the city, I really found that the fact that I could sing and act and dance is the thing that I would get hired for. You know, they would need a swing who can cover the singers, can cover the dancers, and can also cover the lead. And, you know, uh, everything I had done up to moving to New York. So I've always considered, my, I mean, triple threat sounds so like, semi-pretentious because uh. it's like I'm a triple threat <laughs> like there's something <laughs> threatening about my talent uh, <laughs> but uh but, but I do I love I love all three and uh and so I do consider myself uh, an actor and a singer and a dancer well you have to especially in today's climate on Broadway you have to have all three sometimes you have to have four and five Oh yeah, then you have to play an instrument, you have to juggle, you have to, yeah. I was, it was some, you know, and maybe you're out there listening, somebody's epic audition for Spongebob Squarepants where they came in and like twirled plates, played the accordion, roller skated, drank, ate fire. I mean, it was something ridiculous. And they, you know, and they just were like, oh, we don't know what to do with you, but we have to use you. And you hear that kind of audition, you're like, well, I can't do any of that. Yeah. <laughs> so I, singing, acting, and dancing hopefully is enough. Yes. And it has been so far. Uh, but yeah, any any other skills you have, hone them. Hone them. They might use them. So did you go to college for? Mm -hmm. So I went to Ithaca College, um, oh, upstate, okay. upstate New York, got BFA in musical theater. It was a perfect school for me, and it was kind of an accident. Um, I had set my intentions on going to CMU, Carnegie Mellon, because I was in the you know Western Pennsylvania, and it was you know you, you I've heard of it, I knew it, I knew it was good, and I said to myself, if I don't get into CMU. It means I'm not good enough and I shouldn't pursue performing. And I got accepted to Penn State for engineering. So I was going to be an engineer. So, of course, I auditioned for CMU. Um, and, uh, and it was a while till I heard. And honestly, <laughs> my dad, who, you know, isn't outwardly sort of like vocal about, you know, like loving theater. But he was so nervous for me. He ended up calling CMU because we hadn't heard. And I came home from school and he was like, so you didn't get a letter, but I called because I was so anxious. And he was like, and he was like, and you didn't get in. And I was like, okay, that's that. Okay, that's fine. I have to ask because I, I, you know, sometimes I, I think that's the story. I hope I'm not telling it wrong. 
Um, but, uh, but, you know, because he was so invested in my success and he knew how much it meant to me. Uh, but for me, it was that first time, you know, when you're a big fish in a small pond that someone says no to you. Yeah. And if that no, make, I always tell students, if, that, if no makes you stop, then that's, that's where you're supposed to stop. But for me, the no just made me sort of emboldened me to say, well, okay, well, they're not the only school. And Ithaca College was another school I had applied to, uh, and I realized they had one more audition date. And so my amazing parents were like, okay, well, we'll drive you to Ithaca. And it was at Ithaca College. So we drive from Western, drove from Western Pennsylvania up to Ithaca. I auditioned and ended up getting in there. And it's the, it was the perfect school for me because the, the focus of their program is the acting program because the BFA actors and the BFA musical theater students are all in the same acting classes, the same voice and movement, the same training. So um, for me, who came with zero acting ability and was a good singer and had you know that ballet stuff that I right. did, Ithaca College was perfect for me. It like took my weaknesses and made them as strong as my strengths and I kept up my, my dancing and was able to sort of vary styles because I came into school just like a ballet dancer, like a bunhead. Um, so I was able to gain some style from Mary Corsaro, a great, uh, a great jazz teacher and sort of the coordinator of the musical theater department in Ithaca, uh, retired now. Um, and then the acting program was such great acting teachers, um, Norm and Arno and Susanna Berryman, so many good people. So I loved Ithaca, I loved it. That's amazing. Were you teased a lot? I mean, being young and uh, oh, loving Golden Girls and ballet. All that, right? <laughs> you know, it was it was a weird dichotomy, and maybe it's it's the Gemini in me, but um, I was it was weird because I was I was popular enough. I mean, you know, because in high school it's all about being popular. It is. Um, it's, <laughs> I was it's popular. It's about that in real life. Right. Too. I know. Gosh. Really. Um, I was popular enough that I would always get voted onto the student council. And I would all, you know, I'd have solos in the choir concert, and I would do the leads in the play. But at the same time, there was like a distance between me and the other popular kids because I, in no way, found myself the ability to connect with the guys, mm. and I didn't understand what that was. Um, and I think on some level, I remember like a couple times, you know, that awful thing you're in a hallway and no one's there but you, and like that one guy who just kind of like intimidates you and they yell sort of faggot under their, under their mm, breath and yeah. you're like oh god that just happened and you, you don't even know it about yourself yet right you know and you're like oh god so it wasn't much I mean that was but there was a, there was a you know an inability to sort of connect that I think is most of what I associate with being that sort of outsider in in high school yeah you know I mean I certainly had friends and people who who were kind to me and liked me, but they were mostly all girls. Uh, <laughs> I had lots of girlfriends. Oh no, I which is too, always the telltale sign. Did yes, you? Yes, it is. Oh, I yeah. Yeah. And I'm still friends with a lot of those girlfriends from my high school days. Yeah, I think I think it, I think it was our um, the youth director at our church that pulled my mom aside and was like, "Now I just you know I notice about Jared, he has lots of girlfriends. You know, I think he sort of saw that I might be gay, was trying to sort of like soften the blow for my mom, sort of like." pre me knowing it myself because oh. this is stuff my mom told me after the fact after I came out um, so yeah the uh, the telltale sign of having only girlfriends that was me but thankfully I didn't I, I didn't I didn't suffer a, a, a lot of bullying and all that you know? it sounds like you have really supportive parents that were invested in you and your career and your life they're they're amazing people and the, and you know they didn't always have the answers but they were there to show me love and to say we support you you know we don't understand musical theater we don't understand <laughs> gay but know that we love you and we're here to support you you know and they've 
they've, I mean, my parents are currently, they're retired and they're traveling through Alaska for four months with their big motor home with like a two bathroom rig. It's like a tour bus. And my mom just sent me a picture of, um, I forget where they were. They were somewhere in Canada. There was a rainbow bridge. And my mom took a picture and sent it to me and was like, thinking of you guys. Oh my God. And it's, and it's that kind of stuff that it's like, wow, they surprise me at every turn. You yeah. know, just when I think that, you know, maybe they're sort of starting to sort of like slow down and they're sort of being open and accepting. You know, I get a text of a rainbow bridge in Canada and I think, well, aren't they just the best? Aren't they? The <laughs> and did you remain close with your, with that, your special grandma for? Oh yeah, my, my two grandmas. So, so Grandma Bortz, my dad's mom, and then uh, Eileen, and then Gladys, Grandma Truxel, who we called Happy Bottoms, Gladass, Happy Bottoms. <laughs> <laughs> um, so Gladys, so they were they were my biggest fans. They really were. Oh. And I, I had that great experience as a kid that I had grandmas that would just dote on you when you'd show up, and they had a cookie jar and always had a snack. And um, so, I, but I saw I saw my grandma boards just more just because we were closer proximity to them. And uh, so we would yeah watch Golden Girls. I'd have sleepovers, and she'd take me to bingo at the at the uh, volunteer fire hall. Which is why I love bingo out here on Fire Island. So oh, because yes. I play bingo with Grandma all the time. Um, but yeah, no, both of them. We were, I was close with them my whole life, and they actually passed away both my senior year in in high school, like relatively close. Oh to wow, one so that's kind of young. Yeah, um, but no, they were wonderful, uh, amazing women. So when did you move to New York? Right out of college? Mm -hmm. Yeah. I, so I there was a summer stock theater. Uh, Merry-go-round playhouse. Yeah, I've heard. Well, um, I'm auditioned for yeah. it. Yeah, <laughs> right. I haven't gotten there. Trying to get in. <laughs> I know we were talking the other day how regional theaters somehow seems harder to get into than Broadway. Sometimes. Yes, it's so true. <laughs> They're like, you know, they have their people, and they have lots of callbacks. You know, sometimes oh, yeah. you can book a Broadway show with one callback. Yeah, regionals like regionals. going in for the eighth time. Yeah, you know. Uh, so Merry-go-round playhouse, I worked at uh, during my summers uh, at Ithaca. I did one summer at Penn State. They had a summer theater that I did at Children of Eden at, but. So I worked at Merry-Ground after my senior year and then moved straight to New York. I slept on the futon of uh, a friend uh, who was in that season at Merry-Ground Playhouse, Randy, Aaron, and Laura Dazarczyk. They were both NYU grads, and I slept on a futon in Randy's room. My parents drove me in a van to New York. Of course, the van broke down on the way to New York, oh. and we had to like sleep in a roadside rest. And it was a very, <laughs> it was, it was as epic as a trip to New York could be. Um, and they dropped me off in this random Brooklyn apartment with, you know, my crates full of things from college, and you know, as much money as they could stand giving me without feeling like they were enabling me. Um, and uh, and so I slept on his futon, and he had just gotten a new kitten, and that that kitten would scratch me all the time because Randy was never home. Um, but that's, yeah, so I moved to New York. Sorry, long-winded. Moved to New York just after college and lived in Brooklyn with, with Randy. So then how did you Aaron. get your equity card? At Merry-Gorn Playhouse? No, so uh, I got to New York and I would audition for anything. It was like throwing, you know, throwing stuff against the wall and see what sticks. Um, and I always laugh about the fact that I would audition for Lion King all the time, even though we all know there ain't no white people up in Lion King. Isn't there one hyena? I think, I think there's one hyena, like a token, which, <laughs> you know. Which is rare that the white person Yeah, I know, I know. So, so God bless them, you know, please. Um, uh, but uh, so I auditioned for anything. Uh, and I, the first two jobs I got offered, and I did, one was uh, Miss Saigon at North Shore Music Theater. And then right after that, I was offered this Christmas show, just a holiday review in Charleston, South Carolina. And both of them offered me my equity card. And they said, you know, we have spots for equity people that we'd be happy to give you, even though you're non-equity. And I turned it down both times because I said, I just don't know if I'm ready yet. Like, I haven't been here enough to know if I'm ready to make that leap. Yeah. So I still did the shows, but I did them under their non-equity slots. 
So they'd offered me an equity slot, but I said no. Um, and it wasn't until I got back to the city and I'd done those jobs and I realized, okay, I feel like I'm on par with these people. Like I'm, I'm right there with them. Um, and honestly, I got offered three non-equity jobs after that that I turned down. <laughs> that was the first time I realized you don't tell your parents everything. Oh. Um, I got offered, uh, what was it? Uh, My Fair Lady at Paper Mill. Um, and I, I got to that point where I was like, oh no, but like, I should be making as much money as the other people because I'm just as good as them. Right, yeah. So, I know. Who, who did I think I was anyways? Um, so, I, I turned Jared down that. Ford. I know, that's you were. I thought yeah, I was. exactly. You know? you know, at some point, you, you have to have a bit of an ego and a bit of confidence, but and I guess the naivete served me well. So, I, I, paper mill, and then I got offered a show I've always wanted to do, and now I'm probably too old to do, uh, Dames at Sea oh. at Goodspeed. So, you know, there's only four, four people in it, mostly, like four leads, two guys, two girls, and then some other characters. So they offered me to cover the two lead guys oh, okay. in that. And I, and it, but again, it was non-equity, and I actually negotiated a little bit with them and was trying to get them to give me what I thought I deserved. And they, of course, thought I was ridiculous. And they're like, you do understand what you're turning down. I was like, yeah, I do. <laughs> and I turned them down because they wouldn't give me what I asked for. Um, and then I got to offer the non-equity national tour of cats and s as a swing. And something just told me that a non-equity national tour of cats as a swing oh, was just going to be a lot of work. A lot of work. So, um, so after that was when I was clear. I was like, I'm only going to audition for, you know, I, I want to be equity. I want to be on Broadway. So I worked at a coffee shop. I turned on all that work, worked at a coffee shop in Chelsea. And then, thankfully, I auditioned for Mamma Mia a bunch of times. And Mamma Mia was my Broadway debut. And that's when I got my equity card. Oh, that's great. So I, I held out, and it worked out. And so you went into a show that <laughs> had been running for – how long had it been running for? Um, so it had opened '01. I think my first stint in it was June of '02. I was doing the paternity leave. So my first stint was a six-week – you know, paternity leave oh. was my Broadway debut. Nice. That I've never heard of a paternity leave. Yeah, I know, right? It was a, it was a unique thing. And, you know, and, and now when I look back, I realize that, you know, as a non-equity young talent, and I, I, I teach a lot, and we'll get to that, but I, I tell students, it's like, you know, there's some shows that are looking for that. They want that naive, young, excited, and Mamma Mia was totally that in spades, that they wanted that young, excited, and, and I, I, I had certainly had that in, yes. in spades. I was very energetic. Um, and so, uh, you know, I went to an open call. One of those calls was hundreds of people. And I even signed up and I left because I was like, this is just, you know, mayhem. And I came back later and I was like, and I, and I danced and I got kept and I sang. I forgot my lyrics and I swore in the middle of my song, but I got kept. I danced again and they took a Polaroid. Then, I, you know, it was one of those things where you do like eight auditions. Oh, yeah. And then finally you get a call. But it was, it was amazing. I mean, all the, I mean, all the things you want, you know, to, to, to happen as a Broadway debut and be on Broadway and then it happened and you're just like, you know, pinch yourself. It, it really, you know, it really was a beautiful, amazing, and I still tear up just thinking about it. It's a dream come true. Oh, absolutely. And you got to go back after your paternity leave? Yeah. Oh, yeah. It wasn't my paternity leave. I didn't have a child. At, what was I, 22? Um, but uh, after, uh, so after uh, that fellow came back, oh, I swear it's on the tip of my tongue. Um, Mamma Mia called me a few months later to go on tour for, um, for like four weeks to fill in, and I did that. And, uh, and then after I got back, I forget, I think that next summer they called me to take over one of the swing tracks permanently. So that was when I was like, had my permanent track in Mamma Mia, uh, took over for John Eric Goldberg, 
who was in the original company and in the closing company. Oh. He was one of those people who'd never aged somehow. <laughs> he was able to play a kid in, you know, what, 2001 and in, when it closed, 2015, yeah. 14. Wow. So John Eric had left to go do something, and I, I replaced him. And so I was a swing and a cover for Eddie and Sky, And that was, like, my first, like, I'm here, I have a job, I'm on Broadway. And did you like swinging? Do you have the head for it? I do, yeah. It suited me really well. It did. I, I enjoy, you know, multitasking. Um, and I'd never done it. Actually, I, here's the thing. I had done it before. I was going to talk about uh, earlier. We'll backtrack for oh, half a back, second. Backtrack. Um, in high school, when I was 15, I think when I was 15, my aunt, the grandmother I was talking about, who got me into the children's theater, my aunt saw another thing in the paper for auditions for the theme park for Idlewild Theme Park and thought like, hey honey, you should go audition for this. So I auditioned for Idlewild Theme Park. It was like Super Bowl Sunday. My parents drove me into Pittsburgh and we're like, we're gonna drop you off and leave you here because we have to go watch the Super Bowl. <laughs> the Steelers were in the Super Bowl that year. And so I auditioned and uh, got hired for the theme park, but I was 15. So, and they, ha I mean, these are all things that were so, I wasn't aware of. My parents somehow arranged it with high school that I could leave school half a day um, arranged it somehow to get around the child labor laws because I was 15 um, and my grandma would pick me up half a day from school and I would work at the theme park um, you know rehearsing until the summer came and I would work all summer so my third summer at the theme park I said I don't want to be a performer I just want to be a I want to be a normal kid so I said I want to work on the roller coaster so the producers of the show, of, of the theme park, uh, Dave Gurton and uh, Maria Rivers, uh, uh, they were like, really? I was like, yeah, yeah, no, I just want to have a normal summer. So I'm, <laughs> I'm, I'm in orientation for like being a, just a theme park worker. Like I'm going to work the roller coaster or a snow cone machine, something. And Dave Gurton, this like impresario type, has very deep voice, comes into this, this room with me and these other employers, employees, and it's like, um, he's like, Jared, can I speak with you? And I was like, okay. And I come outside. He's like, um, I just fired somebody. Uh, would you be willing to work as an entertainer again? I was like, okay. But he needed a swing because it was the first year ah. they were doing a swing. So I was a swing in the theme park for two country shows, two main stage shows, and a children's show. So I was a swing for five shows and covered probably six men in five different shows. And I also covered the sound and lighting guy. So oh, wow. I knew probably like 32 different tracks. So that was my first time, I guess, swinging. Absolutely. And I loved it. So when I got to Mamma Mia, you know, swinging, I just, I just, just you asking that. I was like, oh, wait, no, I did swing. So, I mean, I cut my teeth on swinging theme park. Well, <laughs> to go from like 32 people, including yeah. sound and lights, yeah. to six. To, to like six. I was like, oh, I got this. Oh, I, oh. I got this. Yeah. Oh. So I did. I did. My, my brain works for swinging. It really does. It and I and I love it and I and I and I and I hope to go back to it. I you know, we'll talk about Wicked in a second, but I've had a long, wonderful career with Wicked, and I'm open to it continuing. And I would love to go back to swinging at some point. And and that if that comes up with the Wicked world, I would I would love to do that. So I do. I love swinging. I like well, your that. head says you said your head wraps around it. How does your ego wrap around it? Oh, you know, interesting. Because when I when I first was a swing, there was a sense of like, oh, but I'm really good. I should be on stage every night. Yeah. Um, but then what, getting a track and being on stage every night, you understand the other side of it is um, the hardest part of a long running show and repetition is the physical. 
the fact that you the rep the repetitious nature of the fact that I'm swinging my arm the same way eight shows a week week after week year after year it breaks your body down and yeah. that physical toll that it takes is the hardest part so there was a little tiny like when I was a swing of like oh, I want to be on stage more but now that I'm on stage all the time and I've been a track you know for the past 10 years of my career doing eight shows a week um, and not swinging um, now I'm kind of like oh I could be a swing again <laughs> give my body a break yeah. and I like it yeah so uh, I feel like I've come full circle with it there was a little bit of ego moment but I mean how can how can your ego get in the way you're on Broadway you're doing what you love oh absolutely I mean, any moment there was a moment of that it was it was fleeting and short-lived so when did Pirate Queen come into your life did you leave Mamma Mia for it no so I uh, while in Mamma Mia I got wicked oh um, so I, I left Mamma Mia uh, there was a sense when I did Mamma Mia, you know, there's a sense with Mamma Mia that, that the, the structure is that the audience feels like they could get up there and do it with you, right? Yeah. There's this sort of like, it's a party. But so there was a sense that like, and this is terrible because I love the show and I mean nothing bad about it, but I, I feel like I need to legitimize, my, legitimize myself by getting a second Broadway show because I feel like doing Mamma Mia was like, yeah, you're kind of talented and you, you know, you're fun and you're... But so when I got Wicked, I was like, oh, I'm really talented. You know, oh. I, I no, I'm, I'm, I'm actually a Broadway performer. All right, yeah. So, uh, so I got Wicked and was so thrilled um, uh, and did Wicked for like a year and eight months before I left for Pirate Queen. So my first stint in Wicked was an uh, onstage swing. So I went from an offstage swing in Mamma Mia uh, covering two principles to an onstage swing in Wicked, so I had a small track in the ensemble. I did the opening number, One Short Day, Witch Hunters, and the finale. And then I covered all the men in the ensemble, The Father, and Fiero. Oh, wow. Yeah. So uh, so that was my, my first in Wicked, and then after about, like I said, a year and eight months of that, um, got offered Pirate Queen and left to do that. And so then Pirate Queen was... It was destined to be this huge show. It was by the oh creators gosh, and Les Mis. It was going to be a I big know, hit. I know, I know, I know. I can, I, I can just see Moya Doherty, the, the, two, the two lead producers, John McLaughlin and Moya Doherty, the very first day of rehearsals, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to butcher this quote, but you know, she, she, that quote about laying their dreams at our feet and to tread softly because these are their dreams, that they were these beautiful couple that had this dream of creating this Irish musical. They were Irish themselves. They were the creators of Riverdance. They had been very successful in, I think, Irish soap opera. I'm hoping that I'm getting that right. Um, but this was their big dream, yeah. to write this musical and, and have their Irish heritage sort of like a light shone on that. And uh, you know, Claude Michel Schoenberg and Alain Boublil, they had approached them about writing the show. And those two guys had never written a show that wasn't their idea, wasn't their passion. So it was a long shot to get them involved, and they immediately were like, this story speaks to us, this is so our wheelhouse, uh, the story of Grace O'Malley. Um, and, uh, and so they were, yes, there were all these high hopes, and I had high hopes for them, and they're the sweetest people, and it just, it's hard, you know, not every show can survive, and it was one of those shows that <laughs> did not did survive. survive. But yeah, it had, it had all the high hopes. I Frank Galati directing, you know, from Ragtime, and Mark Dendy, a great modern choreographer, who was then sort of like, you know, joined by Graziella Danielle, who's amazing, and these amazing writers that I grew up listening to, Les Mis and oh. Saigon. I mean, it just had all the hopes going for it. Oh, and our amazing costume designer, Martin Pacladinas. Ah, oh, his costumes were 
stunning. Those alone should have won a Tony Award. Besides Eugene Lee's set and Ken Poser's lighting, I could go on and on. I'm a fan. Uh, yeah. I'm a fan of Pirate Queen. As well you should. <laughs> but but how did it did it break your heart that it wasn't a, a success? You know, it didn't because you know my oh. I, I realized I realized at some point while doing it, and I think it was after it closed that I realized this, that without knowing it, my goal. You know, I was, I've never been a big, like, set a goal kind of person. I you know I have things I love and I go after them. But after doing that show, I realized my goal was to be in an original Broadway show. And I grew up listening to CDs and staring at the names on the CDs of, like, the people in the show and cross-referencing it with other CDs. And so now the fact that my name was on one of those CDs by these writers who write Les Mis and Miss oh, Saigon. Yes. I had a paper route in high school and I used to do my paper route listening to those, you know, to like, you know, all those 80s musicals. And the fact that I was on one, I realized that that was the goal. That I felt like I had, I had slayed that dragon, as it were, of I want this thing and it happened. So when the show closed, it wasn't, it wasn't so upsetting because I had, I had done the thing. You know, I had done it. I was, I was more honestly upset for our producers, for the creators, the people who, you know, you know, were really losing. Yeah. You know, I was an actor who had a job, and I can, I can, you know, hopefully get another job. But, you know, they had put years and years and years and millions of dollars into this thing. Um, so I was completely fulfilled by the experience. So any sadness I had was more for those people who had lost so much more than me. Wow. Then, That's very big and, like, nice of you. Yeah. No, I remember, oh, I'm getting teary thinking of it. That I remember coming into the theater that day and seeing Moya, the, the, the husband and wife, Moya Doherty, who had said that line about, you know, dreams at your feet, tread softly. And, and I just, I hugged her and I was, I just was appalled. I was like, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry that the show has to close. Because I, I just, like, you know, that was the, yeah you know, they were such sweet people and all they wanted to do. And, and unfortunately, they just, you know, they were new producers. So they didn't quite make all the right choices. But, you know, it's a complicated business. Even if they had made all the right choices, who knows what would have happened. All right. Um, but sweet people and, and I loved my experience. Well, then you, you went back to Wicked. Yeah, so then uh, I had sort of seen the writing on the wall of the, the ship was going to sink, as it were, but I'm bummed. <laughs> um, and so I, <laughs> I called Wicked. Um, you know, some of the management, maybe Susan Sampleiner, our great company manager, or Marsha Goldberg, um, you know, one of our general managers. And I said, hey, I think I'm going to be available soon. So just a heads up. Um, so honestly, so Wick, uh, Pirate Queen closed on a Sunday. Uh, and that was, or was it Saturday? And it was that, that was the day of Broadway Bears. So uh, I went to Broadway Bears that night and I ran into Trent, who was our wardrobe supervisor at Wicked. And so Pirate Queen closed Sunday afternoon, went to Broadway Bears Sunday evening, saw Trent in the bathroom and he said, oh, hey, they're gonna call you, they're gonna bring you back to Wicked. <laughs> so literally like the same day as Pirate Queen closed, I got a call that I was coming back to Wicked. Um, you know, and that was just, you know, something that, you know, you can only only dream of like the fact like one show closes and that same day you just yeah. you know and it wasn't you know I wasn't I didn't get the offer or the call or anything yet but um but I knew that you know that they were like interested in bringing me back into the fold and and I was temporary for a while till a permanent spot opened up so I was a vacation swing um, and my friend Mark Myers who was uh, one of the dance supervisors at the time along with Corinne uh, uh, McFadden Herrera. Um, 
they both were great and were so sweet to bring me back in and, and kept me working until a spot opened up in New York. And then they offered me that spot in New York and, uh, and I've been there ever since. And now it's going on like almost nine years I've been back in the show. So, and it's a total of what, 11 years? Yeah, we're, go we're getting close to 11. Maybe this fall will be 11 years. That's amazing. So the yeah, bit, 11 years, but nine crazy. years. So, I mean, I mean, everyone asks you this question. Um, and I just saw the show recently, and I uh, mm. saw you in it, and you were great. But the show looked great. You look great. Mm. The show's fresh. How do, you, how do you keep it fresh, you know, ev every night? Right, right. That's one of the things, the long-running show. So for me, you know, first of all, you have to be the type of person that enjoys it. You yeah. know, some people just don't enjoy the repetition, and they want to create something, experience it, and move on. Um, the repetition suits me, first off. And then second off, it's a choice. You know, I show up every day and it's a choice to commit yourself to the work. Um, and thankfully, my education at, at, at Ithaca College gave me such a huge toolbox of things I can use to keep myself invested in the moment. Um, and so, uh, you know, whether it's you know, Arno, my one acting teacher, had this thing, uh, EROT, Environment, Relationship, Objective, Objective and Tactic. So those are the, the four things he thought you should think of before you go on stage, your environment, E-R-O-T. So even if I took one of those before I entered, like the environment, like what does it smell like, what does it feel like, what's the temperature, or my relationship, any of those, you know, I'm in the performance and I'm in the moment and I'm enjoying it, you know, and, it, and if you're really in the moment, it's never the same show twice. If you're really listening to the audience, if you're really listening to the people on stage with you, if you're listening and you're in the moment, it's never the same show and you're always engaged and interested. So I think part of it is my nature. Yeah. And I think part of it is choice, just showing up every day and saying, I get to do this. The other day, uh, one of the guys in the cast was like, oh gosh, I was like, oh, do we have to? And I was like, no, 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 we get to. I mean, sort of being facetious, but I mean, he literally but the no, next day- that's a beautiful thing to say. Yeah, the yeah. next day he was like, you know what? I use that now. I think to myself, no, I get to, I get to do this. You know, so it, you know, at some point it has to be mind over matter, and you have to make the choice to commit to it. And thankfully, I just have that disposition that I show up every day and I, I commit to the task at hand, and I and I play. You know, yeah. that's what it is. It's playing. Yeah. You know, I play dress up for a living. That's you know, very true. How fun is that? And it's a, and it's still a big fat hit. You have. Oh my gosh, yeah. it's crazy. It's 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 wild. I it amazes me they can find nineteen hundred people eight times a week to come see the show. I'm like, yeah. where do these people come from? Yeah. I, mean, I know t New York is a big tourist destination, but I was like, it amazes me. So yeah, the show's still doing great, and they do a great job at maintaining it as well. I mean, the show looks great because we're committed and we're a great cast, but also you know they spend they spend their money back into the show in terms of. You know, our associate director, choreographer, musical director, you know, the costumes. Alice Gilbert does a great job of keeping the show look impeccable. Our stage managers are like, you know, we'll get notes about like, you're not quite in your light. I mean, in my head, I'm like, who cares in year 13 whether ensemble member Jared in the back is in his light? But they do. They do. Yeah. And so they. Well, that's good to hear and nice. Yeah. yeah. So they, they, they spend time and energy and money on keeping the show looking fresh and clean. You know, sometimes as a, as a member of the ensemble for 11 years you know you might see a cleanup rehearsal and roll your eyes a bit but once i'm in the room in the rehearsal it's invigorating and it's fun and you're you're sort of you know get new ideas yeah and, you know everyone's so wayne will stop by wayne salento our choreographer and joe mantella will stop in and they'll just drop these little nuggets of wisdom that'll just light you for like the next six months that'll keep you you know going with a new sense of 
you know. So there's there's a lot of things with Wicked that they do to keep it looking fresh, and it still sells out. And I think it's a testament to the way, you know, their the management and David Stone and Mark Platt they're choosing to sort of maintain the show. It works. They're doing a great job. Yeah, I mean they definitely are. I was I was really impressed. I saw. I saw the opening cast and then I saw the most recent I saw cast. I saw the opening cast too so on, on a night off from Mamma Mia I went oh and I, and I remember you know because you know when a show's coming from out of town you hear rumors and things you know yeah. this 14 million dollar thing coming to New York um, and it was it was uh, and it was magical I watched it from I think like the, the back of the house you know sort of up in the up in the uh, back part of the uh, orchestra and was just enchanted by it I mean it the opening, I mean, Kristen and Adina and Joel and oh. Norbert, I mean, just, and that ensemble, that ensemble was so good. I remember so good. sitting in the front row the second time I saw it, because of course I had to come back a second time, and Kathy Deitch just belting in my face at the top of Act 2. Um, you know, that whole, and those dancers, Christy Candler and Manny and Corinne, I mean, they were just, it's just such a great, it was an amazing group of people. Oh, I that opening company. I mean, I, I'm oh, like yeah. fans of them. Oh, I am too. <laughs> and they, and they, you know, when you create an original show, from then on, they call it the Keisha track. They call it the Chris Cusick track. I mean, yeah, you've created a track that then other people are trying to fit into, and and they did a great job at creating an original company that that brought it. Oh, they definitely did. All of them. So, do you have endless amounts of put-ins? You know, it ebbs and flows. You know, I mean. Certainly with the principals, you know, they know when their contracts are up and this and that. But for the ensemble, you know, there'll be, you know, it seems like a lot of people leaving and nobody's leaving. So it just depends. We'll go through phases where there'll be lots of put-ins and then phases for a while where things will just be chill and we'll just be riding along doing the show. So um, just, but it's a big show, so there's always something happening. Yeah, and do you understudy like, still? Uh, so I was an understudy for Fiero for about a decade, um, which was a great run. I mean, I joined the show when I was too young for the role. Uh, and uh, and and wicked. Thankfully, I do a good job, and they and they like me. So they found another track. Another uh, a track came open that they then moved me to. So I, I've moved tracks a couple times. Um, so I'm now in a track where I cover the father, um, which is funny because when I first joined the show when I was 25, I also covered the father as a swing. <laughs> And that was when Adina was still on the show. So it was like, on any given night, I could have play, been playing Adina's lover or her father. Um, but, uh, uh, but now, 10 years later, they're like, you know, your Fiero is great and you've done a great job, but this other track is open and we want you to stay in the company. So they sh so I don't cover Fiero anymore, so I cover the, the, the father now. So. And that's where they, they switch, you can switch tracks. No, it, yeah, it is. And it, it's one of the, the luxuries of a long-running show. Um, and certainly, you know, the fact that, that uh, A, my type fits into another track in the show. Right. And then B, that they were kind enough to, 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 to do that, you know, to sort of be like, look, we, we value Jared. We, he's a good company member. He's a great job. He brings something that we want to keep around. And, and they found a way to keep me, which I, I was, am so grateful for. Was and am so grateful for. Yeah. There's uh, sometimes people talk about Wicked and they say, "Oh, it's a government job. Oh, it's a big <laughs> machine." I mean, how is it is it run that efficiently that like I don't know why like they say, "Oh, it's a government government job, right?" And I, what is I don't know. My my aunt works for the government. I should ask her what that analogy uh, correlates to with us. But um, uh, what was the question? <laughs> no, but do you feel that it's like? It's, do I feel it's, like it's, it's that? Like it's so no, like no. Uh, they, yeah, there. I mean, look, there is an element to that, and that's something that you. That I that we get to accept as company members that it's a global product. Right. We're not the original company and this tiny little thing. It's a global brand. 
which is also why, you know, we do have lots of, you know, memos. <laughs> you know, I always, we always joke that like when a new company member comes in that there's like a Bible of memos that they get, that they can read through the years, all the different, you know, because so there is a corporate nature to it. But that's because, you know, it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's an amazing product that they want to protect. So they want to make sure that if you see the show in Australia or New York or Japan or on tour, that the same message is being told, the same show is happening, and the company members are supporting that, you know, all the way. So in those ways, yes, it can feel like corporate theater or you know a government job, but um, but then in the individual companies, you know, you you have your own sort of life and relationships. But yeah, there is this larger umbrella that sometimes can feel a little, a little corporate. And I mean, as great as the show is, and I absolutely loved it, it's a great message. Do you as Jared feel like, I, I'm not being creatively satisfied, but then you mentioned teaching. Do you have other outlets yeah. besides your yeah, big Broadway you know, hit? Yeah, you know, I mean, my, my <laughs> big Broadway hit. I know, we should, all, we should all be so unlucky to just have a big Broadway hit. Um, yeah, you know, I mean, Wicked is the stable thing in my life. Um, that is that that rock that I go to and like I said that that works for me but I've had so many different opportunities to sort of branch out whether it be directing or choreographing or writing or arranging um, all things I've done um, you know here and there the, the main thing I do uh, in addition is is teaching you know a, you know Wicked's popular a lot of student groups want to have an experience with a cast yeah. member so, you know, they're like 90 minute workshops where you do anything from, you know, uh, a scene study or a little, uh, you know, a section of a song teaching a little music, a little dance. You've done them, I'm oh, sure. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And, I love uh, and, and, and I really, I enjoy that a lot. I, I enjoy running a room, which is, I think, the, the few times I've directed something or facilitated something happening, because I, I still am shy to call myself a director or that I directed something. It seems like a large mantle I'm not ready for. But I do enjoy running a room and and teaching is a great opportunity to do that. And I love sort of giving kids this sort of knowledge and this fire because I would have killed for this when I was a kid. Oh, absolutely. I mean, I didn't see a Broadway show until I was in college already studying musical theater. So the fact that these kids at this young age get a chance to, you know, sort of get a taste of this, um, I love that, and it's great when it's a group that's just sort of hungry for it. So, so yeah. So I mean, there, there's lots of other things that I do, including being in Fire Island, like we are right now. <laughs> Vacations yes. are important. Yes, Perfect. downtime is important. I mean, I've, I've it, you know, I'm in, I'm in the city working eight shows a week. So for me, getting out of the city and relaxing is also just as important to make sure I show up in the next week and I'm ready to hit the ground running again. So, you know, our little place here in Fire Island is an amazing way to sort of get away, feel like, and then go back and, and, and hit it. So, uh, so Wicked is the solid thing. The rest of my life can be sort of like crazy and up in the air and do different things. So yeah, I do my best to sort of keep the rest of my life varied, even if Wicked is, you know, not. Well, another thing that's solid in your life is your relationship, yeah. which is so, so wonderful. I love the two of you <laughs> together. And uh, you were just married. Yeah, yeah. We, and uh, September. Which, and I mean, is it hard to like keep a successful relationship in with a theater schedule? Well, you know, it, it would be if we were on opposite schedules. I often feel so bad for those people who like one half of the relationship is on like the nine to five schedule and the other half is on you know, the nighttime Broadway schedule. Thankfully, we've always been on complimentary schedules. Um, he, uh, Stephen Skeels, my husband, um, he uh, has been in the, 
the uh, sort of artistic field his whole life, whether it be as a performer or a writer. Um, so we've always had a similar schedule. And so we're lucky. We get time together. So oh, it hasn't great. been hard. It's been, you know, we, we see each other a lot. And currently he's, you know, while he's working on this uh, a show he's doing in a festival, a show he writ, wrote. Um, and it's he's called Flesh and Spirit? Called, yeah, Flesh and Spirit. Yeah, it's going to be at the New, New York New Works Festival. They're, they're presenting on September 12th. Um, a show he's been working on for a while. Um, and that's really exciting. Uh, but in the meantime, he's been a nanny. He's, his other, one of his other gifts is with kids. He is a child whisperer. Really? He is. Like he, babies, he's like a baby magnet and children he loves. So uh, a lot of the girls in my company, you know, slowly they all sort of like met a guy and got married. And then they all had kids. And Stephen was sort of like the first nanny for, you know, f four or so of the gals in the company who had who had kids and so currently he's the nanny for uh georgia bradshaw lindsey is lindsey northern bradshaw is in wicked and jared is in jersey boys um in georgia their daughter is three and they live two blocks from us so you know i walk steven to work and he gets there at seven o'clock and i get to my half hour at seven thirty, and then i pick him up at night so we're lucky that we get lots of time together That's so wonderful it hasn't been difficult for us um, but I can see how it can be difficult for some people who just have opposite schedules. But thankfully, we we have compatible schedules, so we spend lots of time together, which you know is the key. You know, oh, yeah. if if you're in a relationship, the idea is that you're together. You're a lot. together. So long distance and time away, that's hard. But and with now it. he's really concentrating on the composing and everything mm -hmm. like that. You guys collaborated on projects. How? And that's another part of being creative outside of Wicked. How is that? Yeah. So it uh, great hard a learning process um after pirate queen closed you know i talked about like realizing that that was the goal that i did it so wicked you know was brought me back into the fold and so it was a matter of trying to like and i feel like i'm still looking for it like what is that next dream yeah what is that next thing to work towards um and so uh steven uh was like hey you know why don't we like write a show so yeah, he, like it's so easy to do. That's, yeah, yeah, you want to write a show, I, I you love, know? I mean, I, that's like so brave and fantastic that you guys did that and still do that. Yeah, yeah. It was, so so we, we, we did. We embarked upon He has no lack of creative ideas. I'm the more practical one. He's the dreamer. So he had a legal pad with an idea written on it, and we took that and ran with it. And uh, it's still, you know, it's it's on a shelf currently, but we're we're about ready to dust it off and give it give it another uh, another pass through. We did a couple readings of it, um, you know, with amazing. That's the great thing about being in New York this long is that you meet so many amazingly talented people, and you know, if you're a good person, you can call them and say, "Can you do this reading for free?" So we had a reading <laughs> with like, you know, Mary Testa and Cheyenne Jackson and Megan Sakura and Mark Price and Tyler Maynard and, you know, these amazing people. So yeah. that's been really fun too to sort of. Uh, you know, grab your friends together and say like, hey, we have this thing we're working on. Do you mind coming in and just sort of reading some stuff for us? Um, but, uh, you know, there's a learning curve and that learning curve was steep. So um, so we're, I'm still trying to figure out what of it I love and what of it I don't. And I've realized that I don't want to be the producer, director, arranger, caster, stager. I want to maybe do two jobs. <laughs> Yes, no, that makes complete sense. <laughs> so I'm looking forward to, to doing it again, but when we have like a support system where I can just be the writer or maybe just the director or, um, but I think, I think that's coming around the bend soon. Yeah. I think it's coming around the bend soon. 
You jokingly said that you were like, I'm going to get in the Guinness Book of World Records for being <laughs> Wicked longer than anyone else or like the longest running show. I mean, do you see yourself staying with Wicked uh, indefinitely or do you, do you, I mean, I guess, do you audition? Do you look right. for other projects? Well, look, uh, life is what happens when you're making plans. So, uh, and like I said, I'm not a big dreamer. So I, I keep trying to sort of like find a dream or set a goal. So yes, jokingly, I, I, I looked it up and what George Lee Andrews, I think, did phantom for 23 years 9400 some performances or something like that and and so i was like well you know i mean i've been a wicked for 11 years another 13 years and i could you know man you know i mean it's something it's it was it was it was it was something to go for yes i mean i say it mostly anecdotally because like i said life is what happens when you're making plans but i would be a, a lucky guy and a happy person if i spent 13 more years in wicked you know, look, in, in my mind, I could then, like, move it to a swing track and then cover, you know, Dilliman and the Wizard, and then maybe I could do the father track. You know, this is, this is all barring the creative team likes the idea. <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, <laughs> but in, but the, in the universe. I know, right? Um, so, I mean, I could see myself being yeah. on a show for a long time, or I could see my life completely changing. I think the thing for me right now is that uh, I'm, I'm, I'm open. Yeah. You know, I love the stability. I have some financial goals. <laughs> I, have, I have two more years of Wicked, I know for sure, because we spent a lot of money on the wedding, <laughs> like one does. Yes. Uh, we did it at our house in Pennsylvania, which was great. So we, we spent the money on renovating our house and making it beautiful for our, for our day. And it was, but I need to pay off that debt. Yes. And then I need to get a savings built back up again. And then after that, I'd be open to sort of, you know, auditioning for another show. So, no, I haven't auditioned in eight years or so. I can't remember the last thing I auditioned for, honestly. Um, so I haven't auditioned. I'm not actively pursuing it. Um, like I said, I have two more years where I need to get myself in financial good standing again. Um, and then we'll see. But, you know, maybe George Lee Andrews, coming for you. <laughs> so <laughs> the fact is that you got married, I think is so, so amazing. Was that something that you dreamed of as being a kid or is it something as being a gay man that you never really thought possible? Well, I think it's one of the things, if I can speak for all gay men, uh, no, you know, you mourn many things when you, when you realize that you're gay or you come out because, you know, you grow up, at least I did, with the traditional ideas of marriage and, and husband and wife and kids. And so I think getting married is one of those things you let go of and you mourn and you say, well, that's, that's, that won't be my experience because I'm a gay man. And, you know, and when you discover that about yourself and you embrace it, you also let go of things. So all of a sudden when it was back on the table, it was like, oh, I don't have to give that up. <laughs> um, uh, so, uh, so, you know, as a young kid, of course, you think, oh, I'll meet a girl and get married. Then you're gay and you're like, oh, I'm not meeting a girl and I'm not getting married. And then you meet a great guy and then marriage becomes legal and you're like, oh. And so uh, it just, both of us, it just took a second for us to be like, oh, okay, well, yeah, yeah. You know, there was no qualms about him being the guy for the rest of my life. Yeah. It was just that interesting thing that it being back on the table after letting it go. Um, so, yeah, so happy to be married and, and happy that we had that day. You know, mostly to stand in front of our friends and just declare that love and say, this is the guy for me. This is who I'm going to spend the rest of my life with. You know, that was that was the beautiful thing to do.
Oh, no, and, I, I and that's that's what I loved about it so much. No, I think that it's so great. It's such yeah. a beautiful night. It's really windy right now. It's like a, <laughs> so. If there's wind on here, if there's wind like, on here. It's it's atmospheric. It's atmospheric. <laughs> uh, so just real quick about the the two actors fund. I I've done one actors mm-hmm. fund. It's amazing how much work. Oh my gosh. Put into one performance. If you're if you're you, they mount full full oh, musicals. Full, full full musicals. Yeah, for and sure. The chess one was was Josh Groban before, mm-hmm. and now he's coming to Broadway this year. Right. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. With uh, uh, with uh, the Natasha Pierre and the Great Comedy eighteen twelve. With uh, I think my friend Nick Belton is in there. And it's they're I mean they're they're pretty amazing, especially chess because yeah. chess is that what a oh, score. and that choir. I mean they had this choir. Did you see it or hear any of the recordings of it? They had this huge no, choir I, I in I the didn't. back of the theater, like you know, like I don't know, like a hundred and fifty of like Broadway's best singers, just you know, and it's all about that score. Uh, you know, Benny and Bjorn. Um, who I'm trying to think. I think I met them a couple times through the Mamma Mia world. Um, you know, only in passing, really. But that score is so good that that choir just made it came come alive. And then I remember like like uh, who was it? Raul Sparza and Norm Lewis and Adam Pascal and Julia Murney. Uh, look, I will still YouTube Julia Murney singing Nobody's Side and just listen to it. There's like a recording on YouTube of that concert. Really? And she just and that choir in the background. Oh, it gets me. Who Sutton was in that? Who else was? There were so many great people. I'm, I'm probably forgetting people, but I, I was I was one of the dancers in that. Um, but it was it was great, you know. And I grew up loving uh, Gay Men's Health Crisis. Used to do this as well. They used to do big um, benefit. So I grew up listening uh-huh. to the the recording of um, Anyone Can Whistle with Madeline Kahn and Bernadette Peters and Scott Bakula. I don't know that one. Yeah, the G- GMHC did a, a concert version of, of that. You know, raise money and awareness yeah. and all that stuff. Uh, and they recorded it, and I loved it so much. So, you know, for, so when I got to do those benefit concerts, it was, again, it was that little boy dreaming and just listening to a CD, and then all of a sudden you're inside that CD, and you're the person who's doing the big benefit concert with, like, the big Broadway stars, yeah. and it's being recorded, and... And and so you know, I, it's been I've been very fortunate that these little seeds that were planted in me as a as a as a little boy that, or you know, things I discovered that I got to fulfill. So that yes, those chess and hair were were great experiences. And things just fell into my lap. It was Chris Gatelli was choreographing both of those before he was big Tony Award winning Chris Gatelli. Oh yeah. Um, and they People were just drop his name in a lot of my podcasts. I, <laughs> no, they do, and I, like I always email him, and I was like, I need to interview you. People always right, talk about right, you, right, right. and then he's always he's back just a smiley face. Right, <laughs> because like, he's busy. Because he's 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 he's, he's like, in his a, he's in his in his groove in his pocket. He's he's flying, man. But I would like a sure then a smiley face. <laughs> it'll, just, it'll, I it'll just happen. get a smiley face. It'll happen. It'll happen. <laughs> he's 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 great people. I I haven't. Like I said, those are only the times I worked with him. But he's he's great people. It'll it'll happen. You'll get him. Oh, I no, I I, I, <laughs> I I plan on it. Ah, see these little dreams. You gotta plant them. Plant them. So of all this, I mean, you ha- you have so much joy and so much life and a great career. I mean, is there one or two moments that you're just like this uh, was the the pinnacle or this is something that I cherish? You know what I mean? Yeah, I you know I think just making my Broadway debut. I mean, I just I get choked up thinking about it. Just thinking about. You know, the fact that I got to do, I mean, I, before I made my Broadway debut, I would hear stories and read stories about like someone just, you know, innocuously sort of talking about their Broadway debut. And it would just bring me so much joy and happiness and a well of emotion. So um, the fact that then I got to do it, I mean, that was such a huge highlight. And, and at Wicked, I try to still 
celebrate people's debuts because in a Broadway and a long running Broadway show, sometimes when somebody new comes in, you know, not everyone is there to sort of clock the fact that like this is their Broadway debut. This is a big moment for yeah. them. So I started a thing at Wicked where, um, you know, I go around the theater and get everyone to sign a card, which getting everybody in a Broadway cast to sign something is like a chore. You know, you're like traveling through like four different stories of a theater and like chasing people down between cues. <laughs> like, can you sign this? Getting the Elphaba and the Glinda is always difficult. I was like, yeah, I know you're about to go on stage. Can you sign this real quick? <laughs> the dressers are always very helpful with that. But so I get a card signed and then we have a, a small um, bottle of champagne that the company buys, which is very sweet of them. That then at curtain call, after the curtain comes in, we all are like, yay, and we give them this, and we you know say congratulations on your Broadway debut. So making my Broadway debut and just having that moment, I think, is, is one of the biggest things that just sticks out to me. Just getting to be in the, in the room where it happens. Exactly. Oh, gosh, how much longer will, will Hamilton, you know, possess my every quote? Oh, a lot. Wait, so you go around <laughs> getting the card for everyone? You yeah, yeah. So, I, so I, yeah, I do it, you know. Personally, if, if I'm if I'm really good, I remember a few days in advance, so I have a few days to do it. If I only have one show to do it in, it's it's a hustle. Right. <laughs> it's so a hustle. Obviously, it's more than your talent. Why Wicked wants you around? Do you like? Oh, you, but no, you, but you bring yeah. something to the whole company. So you, I, I, ideally, I, I that's, so you that's will the be, idea. You will be there, and you will. <laughs> I will you, be you there. You will be playing Dillamont. <laughs> like, uh, like they they are lucky. They are lucky to have you. Oh, I I, I hope they think so, and I and I I, I believe that they do. But you know, I love it. I pinch myself. Yeah, it's well. I usually wrap this up with a, a song or like someone's uh, like that's important to you as a performer or as a person. Oh gosh! Um, See, here's when I should have listened to some other of your podcasts so I knew this was coming. No, that's okay. <laughs> but before before I, before you say it, I mean, is there something uh, uh, anything that I missed that you were like, oh, I wanted to tell that silly story? Ah, uh, no, I don't think so. I mean, I look. I'm, I I can gab. So hopefully, this has been interesting and informative. Oh no, it's completely interesting. <laughs> and I haven't gotten off today. topic. Well, because what's great is that when I I mean I've gotten to know you pretty well, but yeah. we rarely talk showbiz. Yeah, yeah. We yeah. like we talk about you know I mean yeah, life and love life. and yeah. joy and um, I've loved talking to Stephen about his writing. It's yeah. September twelfth. Yeah, September twelfth, New York New York New Works Festival. Come vote for Flesh and Spirit. It's uh, it's a competition, but mostly it's it's an ability to sort of show your work and get people to see it. So. Yeah. So, but I like that I've, now I've got to know you as a performer, as an artist, and yeah. not just as a nice man that I I, uh, I befriended. Thanks, so, um, so what song? I, that I stalled long enough. What song did you pick? <laughs> <laughs> I love it. I love you. Like I stalled long enough to give you time to think. Think of a good song. Think of like, you know, uh, it, I, it can be popular. You can just. I could just think about. You know. Uh, so when I was younger, you know, when, you, when you're a singer, you, know, you get around family, everyone's like, sing something for us. And I remember my, my two grandmas, I talked about them, this will bring it full circle, they were my biggest fans. And of course my parents were too, I mean, that goes without saying. But my, my two grandmothers, and they would always say sing, and of course I would always do that bashful thing of like, no, 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 no. Um, and now I wish I would have done it for them more. So when I teach in student groups, they're like, will you sing for us? And most actors are like, you know, I get paid to sing. I always say yes. And I'm like, sure, I'll sing for you. And so I always sing a little bit of um, <clears throat> of As Long As You're Mine, this little part from As Long As You're Mine that I used to cover as Piero. So this is, this is what I sing to the students when they say, can you sing something? And I say yes, because why not? Say yes. Then I will say, or I will play that at the end of the podcast. I'm not going to make you sing right now. Oh, gosh, I thought you were going make me sing. Oh, Cause no. Because I, cause, cause say, I yes. say yes. You can sing it then if All you right, want well, to. All right, well, include it if you want. I th of course I'm going to. Maybe I'm brainless, maybe I'm wise, 
But you've got me seeing through different eyes. Somehow I've fallen under your spell. And somehow I'm feeling it's up that I fell. So that's what I sing for the students. Thank you so much. <laughs> You're the first person to ever, like, when I say pick oh, a song. Well, that's, that's, that's you know. Would you want me to say end? yes? Do you want to uh, to end? Uh, want me to play that song at the yeah, end? Play or it, or play I can play the theme from Golden Girls too. Oh if you want gosh! No, no. Either one will be sufficient. You can you can Norbert Leo Butz and, and Adina can swoon or the Golden Girls. Either one. All right. Well, thank you so much. I thank really you, appreciate Brad. that.
it's just, for the first time, 